Thanks for that. Now, welcome in indeed uh, to Galway Thoughts. And I'm joined in studio by Councillor Mike Cobbert. Councillor David Collins will be joining us shortly. John Morley and myself. We're looking at a number of issues uh, today. Uh, Mike, uh, Councillor Mike Cobbert, good morning to you. How are you today? Morning, Keith. Morning, John. Good. good. Thanks for joining us uh, today. We're going to start out today, and David will join us uh, shortly as well. The Galway GA is confident that financing could be secured with the Centre of Excellence. And Paul Bell, you joined us yesterday on the programme. And he said if the city and uh, county councils give their backing to the proposal to develop a 42-acre facility on the Galway Airport site, it would be a game-changer. What's your take on that, Mike? Because I know you're heavily into sport. Yeah, look, I suppose, Keith, any, any conversation around development for improving sport facilities has to be welcomed. And I think it's, it's, um, it's a positive um, move by the GA, absolutely. And, and it's, a, it's, it's um, something that has to be has to be looked at seriously. Oh, would this have to go to a vote then for Galway city councillors and Galway county councillors? Yeah, look, as, as you're aware, the, the airport site was purchased as a joint uh, purchase between both county councils, uh, both council and, and the city council and county council. And I, again, I think we're a long way off a vote. Um, I, I think the conversation, as Paul said in, I read in today's media, it's, it's, it's about opening the conversation now and having a meeting with councillors. And I welcome that first and foremost because I suppose I, I said this at a council meeting recently that any conversation around the airport site in particular seems to have been all quiet and hush up to now. We seem to be the last to know. So the fact that someone's actually saying we, we have an idea, a plan, and uh, some sort of an idea to, to develop the site, and we want to engage councils from the outset, I welcome that. But, um, but, but, but in terms but, of the GA then itself and the, and the proposal to develop a, a centre of excellence, it's absolutely would be a game changer. I spoke to people in, within the GA in, in the city in the last couple of days. Um, no one I was on here this morning, and again, it would be a game changer in terms of facilities and, and developing on young kids in particular. But but I think we need to broaden the conversation. Um, if we're looking, at, I know I know the site was purchased initially for to be, I suppose, to, to deliver an economic benefit mm. for Galway City and County. Uh, and you have to look at that tagline, I suppose. As you but then it's the definition of, um, you know, economic development. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You have to look at that and, and what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose, and that's why I then say, you have to broaden the, the conversation. It's a big site. Uh, and again, I go back to last year where I met with the Galway City Council Director, uh, Patrick Green, with the chairperson of the, the Galway District Soccer League, for example, who also have no home. Mm. Um, the Galway District League who, yes, they own Damon Easy Park, um, but there's no training centre of excellence. There's nowhere, you look at mild bush in places like Mayo and other places down, down south, yeah. who've got excellent facilities and excellent pitches and, 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 and I suppose, feeding a demand of growing um, people in sport. And we don't have that in soccer. Mm. Don't have it in the Gaelic, as has been said, and many other sports. We're delivering an astro pitch up in, in, in the Kingston plans for hockey in Miller's Lane, for example. So we're kind of reactionary all the time. So I, I think what we need to do is, is look at this conversation that's been started now by the GA, and I support it absolutely. But can we develop it further? Mm. Can we look at a, a, a wide-ranging facility that benefits far more than just one sport or one area? And then in terms of economic benefit, there's plenty of room in Galway, because anyone listening today who has travelled up and down the motorway to go to concerts or venues or anything like that in Dublin knows frustration of hotel prices and so on and so forth of getting to a, an event in Dublin. Mm. And again, I've said this at council many times, the airport site is key, I believe, and we talk about economic benefit for Galway, city and county. It would be a game changer as well if we can deliver a facility such as this, and it's a big enough site to deliver for sports, for youth, for kids, but also for, for likes of concerts, for venues, and obviously conferences. Yeah, but I mean, the economic betterment of the city and the county is people's health as well, and this is going to keep people healthy. John, you have some stats on this there, so you have. Yeah, I suppose. Um, Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I suppose, Keith, Mike's mentioned a good point there about the economic development. It's bearing in mind to say that if this was to, to go ahead in the proposal that both the Galway, GEA, LGFA and Camogie have said, 
it's a small part of the overall site. So there still mm. will be time, areas and, and places that you could develop economically, whether that's putting in industrial states or, or wherever uh, the fact may be. But another point that needs to be bared in mind in terms of the economic uh, betterment of Goa City and County, if you're going to a match day in Pierce Stadium in Salt Hill, it can bring traffic in the city to a halt. If you have a big site here that could bring certain games, now it wouldn't be all games like, like a Connick final, that you could bring certain games to these grounds, r- good access to the motorways, easy access in and out, it could stop all that chaos and that would be an economic betterment could, for Galway. Could, but when I put that to Paul Bellier yesterday, why did they not think of this before they spent so much money on putting lights into um, Pier Stadium? He said, no, Pier Stadium stands and the Centre of Excellence is one and the Lock George facility is not going to be affected by this. So mm. this is effectively just a, a centre of excellence. Centre of excellence, yep. yeah. So they they don't want to be playing games there. They want to play the well in the Pier Stadium, Ballinasloe, and Tune. There's no reason why big county games couldn't be played there, or even the likes of Sigerson games, or even games like uh, that we see the FPD League in the yeah, in the yeah, Dome yeah, and yeah. Bacon. There's ga- there are certain games that you can take there to take the pressure off it as well. So I think yeah. that's that could be bore, uh, bared in mind as well. But, but Mike, as part of this though, I mean, should we have an analysis and an audit done on all of the sporting facilities we have? Because the sporting facilities in Merview and you have to book them. The sporting facilities right across the city, but you have to book them, you have to pay for them. Uh, and the booking from talking to people, the booking system seems to be clunky. Yeah, that's ongoing, Keith. Uh, something I and a few of my colleagues pushed for over the last couple of years was to get an assessment done of right across the city of what First off, we had in facilities-wise, pitches, astro pitches, grass pitches, so on, indoor and outdoor facilities. Because they're there just to add them and see... See what we have, but also yeah. be, and then marry that with population and population growth. In particular, uh, and I zone on, on girls' sport in particular, um, and I'm involved in soccer, as you know, the, the growth in girls' soccer, in, not in just city, but across the county, and across the country, I'm sure, is mm. absolutely massive. Mm. And the year 2024, and I remember centres of excellence and so on, that's, that's great, but... Like, I bring it back to, we can't even, and a number of these pitches you mentioned, we can't even provide toilet facilities. Mm. I mean, like, we're trying to encourage people to, to tackle mental well-being. And, you can't have, uh, but we like, you name, you look at the Astro pitches at Core Park, for example, and the new pitch being developed there. You look yeah. at other p- pitches in Miller's Lane, and we got a toilet up there recently. You look at pitches, Raymore pitches, the restrooms aren't open. There's, there's no toilet facilities on site. Mm. And yet, there's a there's a absolute... absolute Growth and a boom in, in girls' sport in particular and girls' soccer, I see myself from, from being involved in the, the local game. Mm. And yet, if you can't provide the most basic of facilities, I mean, we're all about tackling mental well-being, obesity in schools and so on and so forth. And yet, and whilst these are great plans, I think we need to support this, as I said, but I think we need to get back to basics at local level as well and provide the most basic of facilities for young kids. And I, I, mean, think, I think what Mike is saying there about um, the whole idea of other sports as well. Paul Bell, you did allude to that in the interview we had with us yes, yesterday, yeah. that it could be used as walking track as well for different people in communities and different sports could uh, use well. You made the point of the, the hockey club uh, down there in Convara, Keith, and it not having a home ground. Yeah. So there are there is potential to use it they as a multi go, a multi-sport to, facility. They have to go to, Athen- they have to, go to Athlone. Yeah. To for games. To, yeah. I think the key point that John said there, Keith, was that this, this plan, and while it has to be welcomed and the conversation is good, it's only a small portion of the actual site. Yes. And 100, 115 acres and I think Galway AGA are looking for around 40. That's right, yeah. So this, I think the conversation needs to be broader than this now and make sure if we're going to do a master plan for this and again, it's, it's the most my most feared word in politics is master plan because to me it's something that goes gathering dust for years. Yeah. We need to read about it first off but make sure we involve everyone in the conversation. Yeah. All right, uh, Councillor David Connell and uh, thanks Steve for popping into us today. You, you've mooted this so you have and you've, you have not been behind the curtain when it comes to Galway Airport and that site. 
Yes, Keith. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, I suppose back in in March last year, I had put a proposal to Galway County Council to to maybe utilise the site for for concerts and for um, I suppose um, community activities. And you know, from that, then the the executive of Galway County Council met with the executive of Galway City Council and looked at um, concerts for uh, next summer. And I think there's ten concerts planned yeah. for for the site. I think there's huge benefit in that because you know, as um, as I said, it's it's a site of 115 acres, and you know there's huge potential in relation to what can happen in that site. Uh, and would you would you like or would you would you support uh, Galway GA's uh, suggestion to have a centre of excellence there? Yes, absolutely, Keith. Um, I was talking to a lady this morning. She's she's a county footballer, and she she told me that they have to to uh, go to Beacon to do their, their training sessions. Yeah. And, you know, that in itself, I kind of, you know, from our, from our county perspective, from our, our county teams and our development teams... Yeah, to have Kinvara having to go to Athlone. Exactly, So yeah. we, we need these facilities. And do you think would the majority of councillors support you on this one, Councillor Collins? I think so. I, I've been talking to a number of, um, say, the Fine Gael councillors in Galway County Council. Now, I know they had a Zoom meeting last night. I couldn't attend myself. But what I'm getting from them is that the majority of them are in favour of supporting this, uh, you know, this proposal from from Galway GEA because okay. I think you know when you have three GEA sectors coming together um, and and agreeing on this, you know, first of all, you know, to get that agreement from them three sectors and then to it put shows it, it shows the strength of of them coming together exactly. But I mean, Paul Bell, you did say yesterday, um, the, the, I'm paraphrasing his words, but give me a swift. Um, no rather than a slow yes yeah. and that's what he's mm-hmm. looking for just tell, oh, straight up now are you going to consider it or not and if not we'll move on somewhere else yeah and, and he's absolutely right and I think you know in the context of, of a master plan for, for the Galway airport site you know we need to say to people all the stakeholders look at this is what's been planned you know what's your input into it and, and you know not be drawn it out like the master plan for, for Galway County for, for the Galway airport site is a master plan between Galway City County and Galway County Council. Galway County Council. So, you know, the stakeholders who are involved in it need to be informed what's going on, but also the, the new people like, like Galway GEA who are putting proposals together need to be told straight away whether it's a runner or not. And I think, okay. you know, that decision can be made by both councils. Just in 60 seconds, what would you, forget centres of excellence for one minute, what would you like to see um, in Galway Airport site? Um, well, look, it, it can be it can be a number of things. Like we can have, have venues for concerts, we can have venues for GEA. There's also an economic uh, piece where we we need to look at industrial uh, estates that can complement, um, you know, the sporting activities or the cultural activities of the city. There's huge potential, and there's a lot of people, you know, who would have a lot more expertise in designing the uh, facilities yeah, like this. Absolutely, that yeah. could make an input into what kind of uh, 115 acres is a big site Keith and I think you know a lot of industries and a lot of uh, GEA uh, clubs and um, and community um, groups could could, uh, really benefit from it and what about the flying club yeah absolutely the flying club need to stay there as well because you know they have a a lease they're they're the oldest flying club I think in Ireland Uh, they have a huge history with with, uh, the Carmore airport site and I think yeah they need to be accommodated there as well Uh, Mike what would you like to see there yeah, similar to my colleague here. Um, I think that's a, it's a fair synopsis. I think, the, as I said at the outset, once the conversation has now started, I think we'll have one chance to get this right. And I, I'm never in favour of doing anything by piecemeal. I think uh, from now the conversation starts and involve all stakeholders and mm. see who wants to get involved first and foremost and then build it out from there. But if you start going down a rabbit hole of saying, right, we're just going with GA and that's it, no one else can be involved, mm. I think that's wrong. 
and if you have to look at it as I said I, I, I'd be similar to David I've said before and I said it to you a few minutes ago people are overly frustrated travelling up and down the motorway to go to concerts in Dublin we should be well able to attract people to come to Galway if we deliver this venue. Mm. John Morley, do you think um, that this will become a reality in your lifetime? It, it's hard to know. I'll just give a, a quick thing. In the proposal uh, sent to the councils, uh, Galway, GA, LGFA and, and the Camogie, they suggested on-site to include a full-size GA pitch with an indoor facility, two full-size 4G GA pitches and training centre including dressing rooms and gyms and the construction of three to four further full-size GA pitches with lights. Now, GA pitches are quite big, but they can also be narrowed in to include rugby or, or soccer as well. So it could be used as a multi-purpose facility when it does get up and running and if it go, does get up and running. But the big thing is, Keith, we have councillors on both sides, county and, and city here, uh, Ronan, behind us. Can you get both executives in behind it as well? Hi, Keith. Um, we've had this discussion with the CEO during the COVID to um, combine sports into sports parks, if you like. We need to seriously think about the future of sport in the West of Ireland and about the next generation who deserve nothing but the best so that they can uh, be the best. Stop working in silos and work together. And that comes from Ashling Kyo, hockey advocate there and uh, candidate the forthcoming uh, local elections. It's a good point and you've made that point, Mike. Uh, David and Mike and John stay with us. I want to take a short commercial break and we're back. Uh, we're going back to the whole GP and uh, doctor side of things next so we are because we were in on with calls about it when Dr. Um, Martin Daly. Daly joined us on Tuesday morning in the programme. Now we have two subjects left on Galway Thoughts uh, today. So we have, and I'm joined in the studio by um, Councillor Mike Cobber, Councillor David Collins, and our own John Morley as well. We're looking at the GP pressure. Are, are you are you hearing, uh, David, out in the county of difficulties when it comes to people being able to get a GP? Yeah, um, I am, Keith. And I suppose, you know, I suppose with the rise in population over the last, you know, 12 months or 18 months, um, you know, there's huge issues for people, you know, if they don't have a GP from old, gaining a new GP. And I suppose the GPs themselves are, are swamped in relation to how many people they can take in. And, you know, if if a person cannot get um, a GP service, then they have to go to the H, HSE to, to maybe get recommended to, to a GP. So it, it is it's because of the, the rise in population. And I suppose people are living longer as well in our communities. Mm. And, you know, they're staying in GPs a, a lot longer because of that. Um, so, yeah, there is but a it's, huge... But it's not just... It's not unique to Galway. We did have... Um, Dr. Martin Daly with us on Tuesday morning and he spoke about how difficult it is. But I mean, you have people who are in students in Dublin that can't get GPs uh, in the heart of Dublin City. They just can't get them and they're in Trinity College and other colleges. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I suppose from the point of view of, of the, you know, the students as well, like Galway City is, is a big student's town and, you know, uh, you know, if people are sick, they can't wait till the weekend to go. No, home but they have a good GP. health campus in the University of Galway. They, they do have, have yeah. and in ATU, they're they're blessed there. But I mean, I know I know students that just cannot. They come down to Galway for their doctor's appointments. Yeah, and and you know that that's not good enough because I suppose you know if people are sick, they need to be seen straight away. Mm. And you know, there's no point waiting till till the weekend till you get home to see you know what if you can get an appointment. Mike, are you coming across it? I know you've. Yeah, look, I suppose it's, it's I suppose a bigger issue in the rural areas, um, but it is also creeping into the city. Obviously, the population growth, as David mentions, um, look at the survey last year that was carried out, I think it was the Irish Independent, that 50% of GPs in the country cannot take new patients. And that's even worse in the county area. It's two-thirds mm-hmm. two thirds of new GPs cannot take new patients. And, yeah. as, and again, all you, you read government policies and so on is to encourage people to move out and fill the towns and villages. And that's all great. But if these services aren't there... Mm. They can't marry well together, so I think we have to look at what's where, where it's lacking. And then you've got issues such as 
insurance costs rising and so on and so forth, premises costs rising, there's huge costs and overheads on GPs as well uh, when they're trying to move out there. So mm-hmm. we need to put more supports in place for those. But it is a massive issue, I think, the further out you go. But I find it creeping in slowly but surely into the city. And, and again, uh, I would get quite a number of calls from people in the outskirts of the city as well that are finding it tough. And some people, and David, I'm sure you've seen it as well, waiting up to two weeks for an appointment for a GP. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Mm. But it's the one me. I spoke to a, um, a GP this week and he's, he's new to the... He's not newly qualified, but he's, he's three or four years qualified. Um, but he starts work at 8 o'clock in the morning and he gets home at 11 o'clock at night time because of the paperwork that's involved in it. Yeah, and that's not sustainable for anybody. For anybody. Um, no, any, any um, um, game, that's not that's not good enough. And and that GP won't last in his profession too long because he'll be burnt out. Yeah. And again, we talk about in the first part of the show about well-being for young kids in sport. Mm. Well-being goes right through your life. You've got to make sure people are working and working at the cold face and, 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 and a huge um, uh, important role in society. Mm. I looked after as well. And having a GP work in those hours is crazy. John, um, um, it's no, um, you're a native of Mayo, so you're, you're living in Galway now, but... Um, it's the same problem in mail? It will be, yeah. And in fact, I was sick in Humber times over the Christmas period, uh, just with chest infections and different things. And I elected not to go to my local GP and just go to a, a private one instead just to get sorted because I was in quite a bad way. So some people, steroids and some, some people don't have the, the luxury of doing that. No, um, they don't have financially. They it's can't the people it. who are financially worse off that are going to be impacted by this the most. I think that's worth bearing in mind in this conversation as well. And how do you solve it? I don't know if this primary care centralization of things is having the necessary effect at the moment. It was hoped that, the, that if you centralize things, bring everything together. It'll, there seems to be an awful lot of admin involved, as the councils have alluded to here, and that seems to be the problem. We should be looking after people and ensuring they can be prescribed and getting treatment and getting better, rather than looking after a lot of red tape and admin. Mike, um, you've been, again, it's, it's, a, sorry, it's, it's personal to you, but you've been going through the medical system uh, since Christmas as well and I mean did you find it difficult to get GPs or is it is, is your GP No in fairness my own GP was very good um, I was involved in a car accident before Christmas and um, I needed my back was, was in a bad way in fairness so I needed my, my back looked after and I got but again I got private health insurance so uh, and again it's something and, and as John alluded to not everyone has the luxury of that so once I got through my GP and into the system I was fine because yeah. my, my health insurance kicks in mm. but again and I fear and back to John's point it's those who can't have those supports in place who will be left behind. And again, I, I think it's disgraceful in the year 2024 that those who have the least in terms of financial um, supports will suffer most. I think it's, it's, it's shameful that's the way we're looking at things. And again, you can't blame GPs. As you said, they're working night, noon and morning to help as many people as they can. And you have to say, you, you have a point where people keep them, and the elderly people in particular, I'm sure David, you feel the same in the county area, where they'll say, I don't want to bother my GP today because he's too busy or she's too busy. Yeah. Because people, are, I respect their GP obviously, but they're kind of saying, I won't go today because they're too busy. Mm. And then their own health is suffering. And mm. that's not a good place to be. Yeah, and I did bring up, uh, John Morley, I did bring it up indeed uh, with Dr. Daly. You know, is it the new, is the free medical care that have been given out? And he said, absolutely not. That's not what's no. causing it. It's no, that's, a, that's an easy scapegoat for some people to say. Yeah. Oh, it's all these medical cards and they're all flooding the system. That's not the case. Not, not, not everyone with a medical card runs to the doctor because they can. Mm. Like, people go to the doctor when they're sick. I mean, it's not a queue. You, if you go out here t- today... There's no mm. big queues outside GPs' offices because people have medical cards. No. And that's a, a myth that's been pushed by many people for many years. Mm. It's, a, it's an absolute nonsense. Mm. And, and again, and, and as, your, as your previous speaker said, uh, and again, I think it's just looking for an excuse, to be honest. People will go to a GP if they're sick. Yeah. And we have to, as a state, make sure those supports are in place for the GPs to provide, okay. provide more GPs. And, if, and again, the retirement. Like, if, if you have more GPs retiring than your 
refilling the spaces. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a problem that you're going to have, and it's it's, it's, it's retention. You got to retain as well. But if you can't fill the spots who are retiring, yeah. Well, it's, it's you don't have to be an economist to know that's going to be well, a problem. Another point made by Dr. Martin Daly was that attitudes have shifted since he started his uh, GP practice, and that. When he qualified as a GP, it was normal for a rural doctor to work 60 to 70 hours per week. That's not going to happen in the in 2024 yeah. with uh, people going into the system. You need to have a work-life balance as well. So lack of doctors internationally, not just nationally, and the, the change in attitudes and, and, and work things, it's having a, a big strain on, mm. on the situation as well. And we close out on this, but I did say, you know, there's a report out recently where the Department of Health saying they will pay um, if they want to go and study in the north of Ireland they will pay for their fees and otherwise and, and get them trained as GPs in the North Run, but they have to give time back to the country. They just have to spend years before they go to Australia. Uh, but anyway, we'll see how that goes. I want to move on because uh, we lost indeed a great statesman and um, the former teacher indeed, uh, John Bruton. Uh, David, did you meet uh, Mr. Bruton? As yeah, a- I happened to meet him uh, at one stage, uh, Keith, and, um, you know, he was a very, uh, I suppose, endearing man and I want to offer my sincere condolences to his family and, and to his friends and, and to his colleagues as well today and tomorrow. Uh, when the funeral is going on. Um, I suppose, you know, he was a, a minister for finance in the 80s and, you know, I was a child of the 80s myself and uh, and I immigrated in the late 80s, um, you know, because of, the, I suppose, the, f- the financial state of the country at, the, at that mm-hmm. time, you know. Where did you immigrate to? To America, yeah, and uh, I spent 10 years out there. And, um, you know, but at that time, it, it was hard for young people, like it is now, it, it was hard for young people in the 80s to, to kind of get a foothold in, in jobs or, or get on the, the housing ladder or that kind of thing, you know. So, um, and I suppose he came into to being into the finance section of, of uh, the government in, in the late 80s. And, you know, I suppose then the boom came in, in, in the late 90s when, when things were kind of, when the ship was rising right a small bit, you know. Um, but look, I think he, he, was, um, he was a very good Taoiseach. Um, he was probably the Taoiseach who brought together the the Rainbow Alliance, um, you know, where three yeah. parties kind of came together and and ruled, yeah. uh, governed the country. Um, he would have a, had a big influence in um, in Northern Ireland and maybe talking to the unionists up there around the Good Friday Agreement. So from that point of view, like he, he leaves a, a very good legacy. Um, you know, he he was very, I suppose, um, you know where his colleagues were concerned he was very loyal to his colleagues and very loyal to the, the, the Fine Gael mm. party um, so and a, a brilliant man yeah yeah absolutely yeah. brilliant I mean his 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 capacity his brain capacity was massive so it was and I mean he did um, Mike covered he did face an awful lot of challenges so he did in his lifetime politically I'm talking about absolutely yeah look, I suppose I'll join David as well in, in, in passing on my condolences to his family and his colleagues and it's, it's going to be a tough time I suppose and Again, anyone in public life knows the time you give it, it's not just a nine-to-five role and, and, and those who suffer most nearly are your family in the background. Uh, so mm. again, they would have been with John right through his career. I didn't, I didn't meet John. Um, when David was emigrating in the 80s, I was born in 85, so I would have been a bit young when, when John was you in, know in power. Age, <laughs> <laughs> and my own yeah. too, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, would admit, I would have been a bit young when it's John okay, was in power. But, uh, I think I, the last few days in particular, a lot of the coverage of media, and you, you see, the, and you mentioned David, a lot of the, the, the talks behind the scenes in terms of the Good Friday Agreement yeah. in particular. Stuff they didn't go on the airwaves looking for a credit for it. Yeah. He, that, that's, that's he never wanted credit. No, and that, that's the real, I suppose, merit of a person. And yeah. That's how people will be judged. They're not looking for headlines or, or backpacking. Yeah. They, they got stuff done behind the scenes. And again, um, everyone in public life, regardless of party or non-party, who goes up and works on behalf of the people, I think that's, mm-hmm. it deserves huge credit. And again, um, from what I speak to yourself, Keith, before the show, and David, um, he, he seems to be a good, genuine man who mm-hmm. put his life and soul into public life. 
and again I'm sure he'll be missed by many people Yeah, John you want to go in there? I think it's, it's, it's nice to see the outpouring in the last few days since he has passed because he is one of those figures in Irish history and I would have studied the, the Good Friday Agreement in depth as well it's kind of been overlooked. Um, people always think of of Bertie and Albert Reynolds and all them that came before and after him. But I think the work he did and his his principles as a constitutional yeah. nationalist and looking up to the likes of John Redmond who who came before him with the Home Rule movement in the early 1900s. I think his pragmatism and his principality. Um, Councillor David Collins mentioned there that he was the finance minister. And when he's in that, he made a very unpopular move, the VAT rate on shoelaces, which actually collapsed the minority government. But there was kind of a, a principality to him and a naivety to him in, in some ways, which was actually quite endearing. But he stuck the with fact that He stuck with stuck what with he him. wanted. He actually didn't do the popular thing on a lot of occasions. Actually, did the very unpopular thing. He became a Taoiseach by a set of unnormal circumstances. I think the work he did in the unionist community, you can see it there with some of the tributes coming in for him from the unionist community. The DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson's reaction uh, to him, he said that John was a gentleman who as Prime Minister reached out to unionists to try and gain better understanding of our position and to encourage practical cooperation. I think his pragmatism, that'll be the legacy he will have left in politics. Well, may he rest in peace. Now his funeral is taking place uh, tonight, I do believe, in the St. Peter and Paul's Church in Dunboyne today. And then a state funeral will take place at 11am tomorrow, followed by his burial in the Ruski Cemetery there. And uh, that'll be uh, um, broadcast live uh, by RTE as well there. Um, before, I, before I go and leave on this one, oh God, I've done something stupid there. Uh, let me come back to this one. Um, this caller said, only in Galway could we have a perfect airport and they shut it down. It's an absolute scandal, especially for the refueling of emergency helicopters. Could Galway Airport ever open again? Mike, quick. As a commercial airport, I don't believe so. Um, that's simply because, look, the, the infrastructure in terms of the roadway to Shannon, to Knox, so on and so forth. I don't commercially as an airport, no, but certainly for air, such as that, what you mentioned there and it's the Galway Flying Club, there's certain parts of the airport that should be retained for that. But I think as a commercial airport... Including it's, it's, refueling. Absolutely, it should be kept. But certainly, but certainly as a commercial airport, I think that, that boat has sailed. David? Yeah, I think, you know, the runway is too short for a commercial uh, airport, I know, for, you know, international flights. But I do think there is scope for, you know, emergency services, ambulance, helicopters, that kind of stuff being, being kept there and, uh, and mm. you know, being used as a base for, for people flying in and out. And the Galway Airport... airport uh, the uh, Golf Flying Club. Yeah, Golf Flying Club, yeah. Mm. All right. Um, John Morley, final word to you. Yeah, I suppose just we've seen there about the, the passenger cap. Look, they're looking to lift it there in Dublin Airport. I suppose if we looked at, at, at building on that and developing transport links, uh, better trains and faster trains and that to, to Dublin, maybe that's worth looking at rather than having an airport in every single town and city across the country. All right. Thank you, uh, David, uh, for joining us uh, today. Mike, thank you for joining us. And uh, John, thank you for joining us uh, today. Just before I go, Keith, it wasn't for the fantastic work of Westock. I would have been uh, part of the statistics in UHG this morning. I just want to compliment the fantastic work uh, that Westock do. And um, they saved my life this morning, the scholar said. We're back with sport next. <laughs> Now let's have a look at uh, sports today and Oliver sits with me today. Um, can, I, can I go first off to the um, soccer, please, Oliver? The uh, Republic of Ireland will meet England. It's the first time in a long number of years that this is, is happening. Yeah, it was back to 1991 and that was a couple of years before the Tuggery at Lansdowne Road. Um, so they were heady days, you know, Niall Quinn got an equaliser that time and I suppose, you know, Ireland were so competitive at the time given that we drew mm. with England at Italia 90. Uh, Kevin Sheedy get an equaliser after Lineker put them in front and then the following year in Wembley 
looking to qualify for the European Championships, which we were very unlucky not to. Uh, we drew one all. And then we just haven't crossed paths. And to be honest, England have got so much stronger. You know, they were vulnerable enough that time. Yeah, yeah. We were quite good. Um, so this is the first time in a long time we're going to meet them. And, and you know, you'd have to say right now, there's very little chance you could see Ireland beating England. It would be a big upset. We don't even have a manager as of yet. Now, whether it'll be easier to get a manager now that we know we've got England twice in September and in November in Nations League qualifiers, it might. Well, geez, it's a great opportunity for somebody to really lay down a marker. Yeah. Uh, you know, a draw at home would be a, a good result, in my opinion. They've got a really tough group, let's be fair. Like tough. Finland and Greece as well. Tough, tough. It's couldn't be tougher, really. No. So... It's a baptism of fire for whoever comes in. This is League B, so we did get promoted up from League C last season, but I suppose that's one of the downfalls. Is we're probably somewhere in between the two, like we're, you know, probably a a, a B minus team at the moment in terms of international standard. But either way, for whoever comes in, it is a mouth watering set of fixtures to straight away uh, get get uh, your teeth into. People will be wondering about getting tickets because. There's probably a lot of Ireland matches you wouldn't bother going up to see in Dublin, but this is one that everybody will want to see, seeing as we're waiting over 30 years for England in a competitive match. So it's Saturday, September the 7th at 5 o'clock in the Aviva Stadium. So that's the home match. The away match will be in Wembley on Sunday, November the 17th against England. That'd be so a nice when, when, trip to when, London as well, wouldn't it? When, uh, absolutely. When will the tickets go on sale? I'd imagine the FAI will be working hard on trying to get something organised in the coming weeks because they'll have that sold out in jig time. So I'd imagine they'll be selling corporate yeah. packages and whatnot with it as well. Mm. Like in one sense, you'd imagine it's the dream draw for the money men in mm. terms of organising, you know, sales packages around those fixtures yeah. and sponsorship. But from mm. a playing perspective, it is tough. League of Ireland, how's that? Looking? That's more to the point. It's it's only a week away, and in the uh, advance of that league starting next Friday night. The President's Cup is on tonight. It's a new enough initiative. It's between the league and cup winners. So it's Shamrock Rovers against St. Patrick's Athletic. So there'll be an extra bit of bite there given their Dublin rivalry. And it's on in Tallis Stadium at 8 o'clock. Go United will be keeping a close eye because they're at home to St. Pat's next Friday night in the first game of the new Premier Division season. So to be honest, Rovers and Pats, let them go off and kick 40 shades of you-know-what out of each other. <laughs> the more damage they do, the better with the start of the new season. Going United themselves are playing a friendly tonight. Uh, they've got Wexford in Eamon DC Park at 7 o'clock, just uh, giving a tip around to some of the new guys. And uh, that'll be all in advance of the new season. So should be really exciting. We've got Tam, Tom Lally in studio, by the way, next Monday night, the former Go United goalkeeper, legend. Gentlemen. Uh, talk about his time in Celtic in Scotland with yeah. Sligo Rovers. He played in a couple of cup finals as well and his time with Galway Rovers as they were back in the late 70s mm -hmm. and his thoughts as well on how just, things have progressed. Just a really nice guy. Worked from Puss for years as well. Just what a really nice guy. Um, Hockey-wise, I know there's a... The European Indoor Championships are on at the moment. So this is an international event, Keith. You've got six countries over playing in the Kingfisher at the moment, so these are some of the top nations. Uh, Ireland are playing at one o'clock. Ireland, believe it or not, are the top-ranked country of those taking part in the European Indoor Hockey Championships too. Uh, so that's at one o'clock against Sweden. Uh, already underway, Slovakia against Croatia. And the other matches Ireland have then will be against Portugal and Slovakia tomorrow. And they round off against Lithuania on Sunday. So some uh, top-class hockey uh, if you want to see some of the best international women's hockey players. Mm -hmm. uh, they get to see them indoors as well, which is great. 
you don't have to take into account the elements. So uh, that's all great, happening at the moment. Great facility over there. So yeah, first time it's come to Ireland, so it's great that we great. have it in Goa. Absolutely. Rugby-wise then? Uh, so we'll have changes to the Ireland team at 2 o'clock when it's announced for the Six Nations match against Italy. Um, I, again, I spoke to you before about how these things are leaked, so you're leaked. always coming up with these. You know, it looks like, which you can translate into... It, it is. Yeah. Um, so Peter O'Mahony and Gary Ringrose won't be playing. Uh, Finlay Bealham, James Ryan, Ryan Baird, Jack Conan and Stuart McCluskey are all in contention for a starting berth. That what do you think that playing. means? They're all playing. Come on, Finlay. Yeah. Uh, so two o'clock the team was announced there as well. The under-20s, they're playing tonight. A few Connacht lads involved in that. They're playing Italy in Musgrave Park in Cork. Uh, kick-off there is at 7.15. So under-20s had a brilliant win over France. Mm. Uh, even more dramatic than the seniors. So, really, Irish rugby is in rude health at the moment. Good, 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 good. Golf-wise? Uh, I missed him restarting, so Shane Lowry was back in action last night. I was telling you he was going well, um, but then there was a, a halt in play. So they're out in Phoenix, in Arizona. The Phoenix Open rain came down, lashing, as it tends to do in America. So they halted play for a couple of hours, and when they got and back Ireland. up and running, it was after 11 o'clock last night. But Lowry finished on four under par, uh, Sahit Tigala, he leads on six under par. Seamus Power one under, but he'd only played four holes when uh, mm. Darkness halted play. So he'll be back to complete his first round in the early stages of this afternoon. Uh, Tom McGibbon, uh, four under at the Qatar Masters. Hayden Barron of Australia leads on nine under. Mm. Um, gar- sorry, darts wise? Darts last night, I watched this. Uh, Luke Littler had two match darts to win the Premier League night two against Michael Van Gerwen. And at his favourite double ten, but he missed them. I don't know, he was like a bold child marching off the stage afterwards. Well, you would be upset. Great chance to beat Van Gerwen, who then uh, took took out his finish and won 6-5 in the final. But Littler is, I mean, he's right there. There's no question. He's right in the thick of the best of them. But you know what the problem is? That I was reading in the Times last Saturday, it was, he hasn't had a kebab since he, um, since the 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 World Championship. Well, he's turned 17, so at least he's... uh, you know, he's yeah. at, at, at approaching adulthood a bit quicker than he was at the World Championships where everybody <laughs> referred to him as the 16-year-old <laughs> Luke Littler. A yeah. uh, lot on this weekend, Keith. Yeah, take us through, I mean, the highlights for you this weekend, Jeff, about two Well, I have to be um, very parochial about it and say that I'll be in Charlestown tomorrow at one o'clock bringing you a live coverage of Dunmore Community School against Carrick and Shannon in the Connacht Post Primary School Senior B Football Final. So back in 2020, Dunmore finally broke their duck and won the Senior D Championship. Mm. And mentioning Senior D, we've got a school, St. Coons, Castle Blakeney, in that very final tomorrow at half five in Dublin Park against Roscommon Community College. But Damore have improved out of all recognition in the last few years. I think there's a few reasons, Keith. First of all, they're holding on to all of their Dunmore players to go to school in Dunmore, yeah. whereas a lot of the footballers traditionally from Dunmore would have gone into Tume, yeah. into Jarlitz. Uh, so now they're they're staying in Dunmore. They've also got the best of Michael Glavies, who are the club across the border Absolutely. in Clune Fad yeah, yeah. in Roscommon. So when you take like the likes of the Hina lads that have come over from Clune Fad in recent years, throw in the, the quality of player that Damore McHales is producing in recent times, um, is it any wonder that Damore won Senior D in 2020? They won the Senior C Championship last year. And now here they are in a Senior B final against Carrick and Shannon. 
a side that they beat in the first round of the group stages, but I don't think either team will bear any resemblance uh, tomorrow. So it's a, a really brilliant final in store. Looking forward to live coverage of that from 1 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, updates St. Coons, Castle Blakeney. And then Sunday, live coverage of Colossus Jabalia Clare, mentioning St. Jarlitz, who are top of the roll of honour. Um, Colossus Jabalia Clare are looking to win their first Senior A Connacht Post Primary Schools football final. Oh, That's against St. Gerald's Castle Bar, 2 o'clock on Sunday. We wish them well. We'll have the hurling team tonight at 9 o'clock. Keith, Galway are playing Tipperary on Sunday in Thurless. Galway haven't won in Thurless since 2006 the tail end of Conor Hayes' tenure, which is unbelievable. Uh, good luck to all of our Camogie teams from the University of Galway. We've got two of them involved in Purcell Cup and Corny Moylegan finals. It's all hosted by the University of Galway in the Connacht GA Centre this weekend. The Ashburn Cup semi-finals take centre stage. A few Galway girls involved with UL. The best luck to them as well. Good stuff, follower. Thank you indeed and stay tuned right throughout the weekend here. On Monday's programme, the National Disability Strategy Talk on Monday, we'll be looking at that. We'll also be looking at the proposed uh, EU law that will include measures and the right to use uh, cash as well. We'll be looking. We'll be looking at uh, that. Stalked, by the way, you heard David Connell talking about it yesterday, indeed. Uh, it's at 9 o'clock on Monday next year, 12th of February. And down uh, Virgin 1, we'll be looking at that. That disappeared at the forced disappearance um, in Ireland, 1798 to 1998, launches next week. Don't forget, our Galway Great is going to be Sister Agnes Curley on Monday morning next. She'll be joining us uh, for that. And we'll also be looking at International Epilepsy Day 2024 as well. So all of that and more on Monday. Monday morning just after the 9 o'clock news. Don't forget the best hour goes out tomorrow morning between 7 and 8 and Sunday morning between 7 and 8. John Morley produced today. Fiona took your comments from you through the Keith Finnegan. Have a good and a safe weekend. We look forward to your company Monday morning just after the 9 o'clock news. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.